been in the news this week. Actually, there was a bunch of stuff. I, I had a bunch of different things on my list, and I cut some things out, try to focus on just kind of two areas. Um, having to do with um, COVID and vaccine and all that kind of stuff, the, uh, the CDC came out this week and said that, that the new pandemic, and this is going to be worse than COVID, is monkeypox. It's coming out. I told you that six months ago. This was heading down the pipe that uh, this was going to be, be the new uh, pandemic. Now, I didn't, I didn't believe in the old pandemic. I didn't think it was a pandemic. I think it was a joke. It was a hoax. But this is going to be the new one, and they're going to try to control us and all this. But here's something that's interesting about um, the monkeypox is the Journal of New England Medicine came out this week and said that monkeypox is primarily uh, transmitted sexually by men. Now, how is this going to be a pandemic? <laughs> I mean, seriously, think about that. But do you remember, now I'm, I, this was a long time ago, I, I remember this was in, while I was in high school, this became a big deal, but remember when AIDS was going to destroy the planet in 10 years, right? Okay, so, guys, don't buy into this one. Talk to business owners, talk to, to people that are, that are going to be, tried to be controlled by this. During the last uh, fake pandemic, Colorado lost 40% of all of its businesses. That is not Okay. Should not have happened. Talk to businesses. Tell them, stay open. Don't listen to them. Re reject what the, what the edicts from the governor are. He, he doesn't have the authority to do this. Just don't do it and stay open. Talk to anybody you know about this. Another thing that happened in the same vein of this is, is Dr. Birks. Do you guys remember who Dr. Birks was? Uh, she is. Uh, she was Fauci's second uh, she was the one that was coming out all the time that the Fauci was standing there. She's standing out there, and then every now and then she would get up. And she was part of the whole thing, part of the whole pandemic and all stuff. Well, she's been writing a bunch of stuff, wrote a book, all kinds of things. And, this, and um, there's a bunch of stuff that she has said, but one thing specifically this last week uh, is, is that um, she said that the COVID vaccines, this is, this is her from her, there's a quote, that the COVID vaccines were never going to protect against infection. Never. This was the lady telling us to get the vaccines, and she said they weren't going to help. She came out with a bunch of stuff this last couple of weeks um, that uh, no masks, the masks were a joke, they don't really do anything, all this kind of stuff. I think what she's doing, this is just my supposition, because this is the week after Fauci says he's going to retire when, the, when there is a political change, Right? Well, he said president, but I think it could be November. But then this last week came out again and said, no, I'm not going to retire. Here's what I think Dr. Birx is doing. She knows all this other information is coming out. The $356 million that Fauci got on the side, him and his teams got on the side um, from the vaccines and all this kind of stuff. These guys have become multi, multi, multi-millionaires because of the vaccine, which is why he was pushing to anything to do with anybody's health. Well, here's what I think Dr. Birx is doing. I think she's trying to, to prepare the way ahead of her so that she does not go to jail when Fauci does. That's what I think, okay? I think she's still going to go to jail, but I think maybe if she says all this stuff now, she can say, well, when I figured it out, I told everybody two and a half years later. So that's just my thinking. Second subject is, is uh, the stuff they've been talking about with um, Ezekiel 38 having to do with Battle of Gog and Magog, Russia combining with Iran, uh, combining with all these other countries that are mentioned there. One of the countries that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38 is Turkey. Um, this week, Russia, Iran, and Turkey made a uh, formal um, financial uh, alliance, an economic alliance together. This is the first time this has ever happened. And here's kind of the weird part about that is Turkey is actually a NATO country, which uh, that, there's some legal stuff there that they can't be playing nice with Iran and Russia like this and these kind of agreements. Um, but I think this is still kind of the information that could, that could be what we're seeing in Ezekiel 38. Here, here's what we know. This is what we're seeing in Ezekiel 38. This just may not be the Ezekiel 38 moment. You understand the difference in the two? Okay. So just keep your eyes on that kind of stuff. I also wanted to mention something to you today that has been uh, very amazing for us as a church and uh, really, really, at least for me, I think the whole board would say this. It really kind of caught us off guard. <clears throat> so this time last year, we, we, got, we got to the point where all of our plans are done, everything's good, 
we annexed uh, into the city. Everything's ready to build. We're ready to start building. And costs kept going up because of the, the goofy pandemic and all this stuff. And, and the costs kept rising, rising, rising. And quickly, financially forced us to not to stop talking about actually building this building. I mean, our costs went up a million and a half to two million in the space of about a year. Uh, that's, we, can't, we can't do that. The bank said, we can't loan you this much money for this size project, all this other kind of stuff. Um, so now we're wondering, what do we do? So the board and I, we just kind of backed up and said, okay, what, what, what should be a plan? Talked about this, prayed about this a lot. Came up with the plan that we know we have to do the annexation stuff uh, coming into the city. We have to do the water sewer, all the stuff that's part of the logistics of the annexation. We have to do all that. So we said, okay, let's cut all that off to the side and let's do that. And I went to the bank, and they said, that's not a problem. Um, we looked, talked about this. We looked at it financially. We knew it was going to cost about um, maybe seven hundred to $800,000 if we were being conservative. Okay? So I went to the bank, sat down with them. They said, well, we think it's going to cost a little bit more than that, so we'll loan you up to a million dollars, and you can do all of this, um, all of this stuff. Right? So we started it, and quickly after starting it, it went south, uh, we ran into a, the underground river over here, and we couldn't get the pipes in the ground, so we had to hire another company to come in and do all that water mitigation, and they pumped it out for, for two weeks and all this other stuff, right? Just the only thing I'm hearing is cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. I mean, that's everybody else hearing water bubbling. I'm hearing a, a cash register. And so we knew that was going to cost us extra, all this stuff. We also still owe $250,000 on our existing loan that, that was bought before I got here. We've been paying on that for the last 10 years. Got it down to, it was a million and a half, I think, when I moved here. Got it down to 250000 We said, okay, we'll roll that in also, right? So we were hoping to stay somewhere around that seven to 800000 but it didn't look very promising that that was going to happen. So we just got all the final numbers back from the bank. We finished all this. Oh, by the way, we started that in September. It was supposed to take a few weeks. Uh, all that stuff, we just finished it about a month and a half ago. Uh, we got all the paperwork back from the bank this last week. We had a board meeting Monday night, began to look at this. With the roll-in of 250000 everything else. Now, we did have a couple hundred thousand dollars plus in the bank that we put toward that uh, in the process. But with all of that done, we now owe $350,000. This really is, yeah. This really is a loaves and fishes kind of thing. We discussed this in the board meeting over and over. Where, how did that happen? Where did all this, because, I mean, we were all there when it's 100000 for this, 100000 for We've got it all down. We've got it all written, and it looks good on paper, but we don't know how a, a 800 to a $1 million note add 250000 came up to 350000 except that I really do believe that's a miracle. That's just a supernatural thing. Um, we are so amazed by what God has done with this. And on top of that, so the whole building, the total building project, we've now cut off about a million dollars of that because that's the work we did over this last year. Although we only owe 350000 our building is now um, cheaper, about a million dollars cheaper. And, uh, and so here, here's the plan. We're gonna keep, the payment is much cheaper now. I don't, I don't even know what it is, but it's much less than we've been paying over the last 10 years. But for 10 years straight, we've been paying... Um, in the 6,000 somewhere, between six and 7,000, I don't remember what it is, 6,500, let's say. Um, we, we've been paying on that. We're going to keep paying on that, uh, even though the note is now cheaper, we're just going to keep paying what we have been paying because that's just good business. And so um, we're going to keep doing that, pay that down as quick as possible. I'm also putting that out here for all of us. Guys, if you, some of you are giving monthly, continue to do that. That's how we budget for the next um, part of this. But if you're saying, hey, I want to help cut away at that 350, um, please do so. Give the offering, put it on there, put building fund, whatever you want to do. We want to get this down as quick as we can because that will propel us to be able to start building the next phase. And just this week, for the first time in the last two and a half years, we are seeing a hint that building costs are coming down. Housing costs are starting to come down, all of that kind of stuff. So that that will also work into um, our favor with this quite a bit. So be praying. Um, if you can give, give to that. And uh, let's, let's continue seeing God do this thing pretty amazingly. It really, it, really, it really caught me off guard when we kept looking. In fact, I kept looking at 350. I kept thinking, okay, where's the rest? Where's the rest of what we are? I actually called the bank. 
I called the bank and I said, okay, here's my question. We're going to roll this into a regular note now instead of a construction loan. Um, I need the payoff. And he said, well, we just sent that to you. He said, yeah, but I need the total payoff. And he said the same number, 352, whatever it is, 352 plus. And I said, yeah, but with everything. And he's like, and he, I know the guy. And he said, pastor, that is everything. Are you wanting us to add more to it? I said, no, 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 don't get me wrong. <laughs> Let's not be crazy. But, uh, but it's, just an, it's just an amazing thing. So frog in the rock. Continuing with frog in the rock. Um, I really, now, now I've been doing this to, to get us to see a bigger picture of how God can do stuff, how, how, how really a supernatural God doing the stuff in our life is not like this huge challenge or stress or something. We have to, to shift that in our minds to get to that place. But at the same time to recognize that, um, that salvation truly is the, the biggest and most amazing miracle that the Lord will ever do in your life. Now, us in, in Western civilization, Western Christianity, we, put, we make salvation fairly simple, right? Um, and not, not totally wrong. I think sometimes we don't take it as serious or even the, the serving God as serious. I think we cheapen that sometimes. We do cheapen grace sometimes. But it really is a, a very um, uh, easy, simplistic thing that the Lord has designed for us to, to get saved. And that's, that's purposefully. The Lord doesn't want to make it some kind of big thing. You have to jump through all these hoops. Human nature does that. Human nature makes salvation difficult, right? Because we have to do this, we have to do this, and we have to earn it, and we have to all this stuff. I'll get to that more in a second. But, but we, we make salvation very simple. I'm saying in a faith level. But then we make miracles and supernatural things. We put them in another category, and we make them difficult, you have to have different kind of faith for healing and different kind of faith for uh, miracles and different kind of faith for depending on what even the miracle is, like the, depending on like um, sickness. We have different kinds of levels of faith it's going to take to heal a cold or heal cancer, right? We do this. It's, it's human nature within Western Christianity, but that's not the, it's not the same when you go around the rest of the world. I've, I've been all over the world. I've preached many places. And when you go other places in the world, it's interesting how they see salvation as the biggest, most difficult thing. Because to them, how can you take a human soul from the clutches of Satan and pull that into some kind of relationship with a singular God? Is God really bigger than all of our gods and deities and all kinds of stuff going on? And so they make... Uh, salvation very, very challenging in, in, in third world and developing type countries. But then once they've established that God can do that, he can say, which by the way is more of the New Testament model, right? We see in the New Testament where Jesus even said, um, I'll prove to you I can save them by healing them. And everybody goes, yeah, because healing is simple. It's salvation that's difficult. That's New Testament. That's Jesus, right? So well, what third world countries do, they say if Jesus is big enough to save you, then all the miracles are fairly simple. And I've seen that many, many places around the world. You pray for somebody to be healed in other places of the world, and boom, it just happens. They, they don't even hesitate. They're like, yeah, God can do that. Why? Because he saved me. And we have it the opposite here. We say salvation is simple. It's the other stuff takes extra faith. You know, you've got to quote a bunch of scriptures. You've got to be really living spiritually holy and all these other things. Instead of realizing that faith is, is a singular thing, faith is do you believe God? Not even believe in God, but do you believe God? That's what faith is. And so I want us to look at, I believe, the biggest miracle that the Lord does, which is salvation in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. And, and, I, and I've, I've seen that so many times over the years. I've had so many conversations with people trying to figure out this, this um, the, the, wrap your mind around the concept of salvation. And if you think about it, it really is a strange belief. It's, it's a really nonsensical belief at some level. That somehow that God actually came into human flesh? What? And that he's the only option? What? And that that when he died on the cross, this, this God took on human flesh so he could die so that I could be saved. That's 2,000 years ago, so I can be saved today? That really doesn't make sense. He says it's foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But here's the key. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. It is the most amazing truth. And it's not just a crazy story. It's truth. 
And it's absolute. It, it transcends any other truth. Supernatural. Amazing. So, Mr. Frog's hopping through the woods. Minding his own business. And a uh, rock falls on top of Mr. Frog. Traps him. And the frog can't do anything. He's, he's trapped under that rock. He can't move. He can't uh, release himself. He struggles, fights. He can do anything. He, can do. he cannot get this rock off of him. He is going to die underneath that rock. So you come walking by, and you reach down, and you take the rock off of the frog. For the frog, that is the most amazing supernatural miracle that has ever happened. So I've saved his life. He, he was going to die underneath that rock, but you saved him. Now, for you, it wasn't a miracle. It wasn't something supernatural. You just moved the rock off of the frog. Okay? I really believe, and the reason I keep telling this story, and I've got one more next week, the reason I keep telling this story is because I really do believe that is the way it is between us and God. Miracles are not miracles for God. They are miracles for us. They are supernatural for us. We are limited to natural. When God does something, it is now supernatural. It is beyond natural. We are limited to the laws of physics and nature. We are limited to time, one direction, linear time. We can't change that. We are limited to space. We are limited to a location. God is not limited to any of these things. God made time. He made the laws of physics and nature. He made all of this kind of stuff. And, and when he reaches into our existence and does something, it's not a big deal for him. He's not taxed by this. But for us, it is outside of all of the things that we are limited to. We're, all the things of nature and physics and all that. We're limited to all that. When God reaches in, it is supernatural. It is beyond what anything we can accomplish or do. And there is a, I think the, um, I think one of the, the, maybe the keys for us when it comes to faith is to say, God, help me see that it's not a challenge for you. I make it a challenge by making it a challenge. It's not difficult for God, but, but we push ourselves into arenas where God it cannot do stuff. And we see that in the New Testament where Jesus couldn't do stuff in his hometown because they could not get past all of the limitations that they understood about themselves and they put on Jesus. You can't. You won't. This isn't who you are. But all we have to do is say, okay, Lord, Help me to let go of all my presuppositions, my ideas. And what I talked about the last week, our arrogance, our, our dignity, our how dare we be something God wants us to be because we're too important. We're too, you know, grown up now. Instead of just saying, Lord, I need a miracle, and you're the miracle guy. You're the supernatural one, and I'm not. What can he do? Anything. Everything. So we're going to look at this from the context of salvation. What is salvation? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any trees of the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. But it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Which means she knew the rules. Right? She had an understanding of the rules. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And he was telling the truth. That's the weird thing about how Satan can do this. He can say just enough that it's truthful, or at least it appears to mostly be truthful to us, and we will accept it. And he says... You won't die. And he's saying, you're not going to physically drop dead when you eat that fruit. Don't you think they're wondering? This is why I personally believe that Adam let Eve eat it first. Because he was waiting to see. He's like, nope, I stand with God. Right? He was being a wimp through this. You know he was. So, so he said, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, which is true. Now they're going to see sin. And then the weird thing about their eyes being opened is they saw less. You know, that's what 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, this cloudy glass that's now between them and God. Their eyes were opened. A bunch of stuff was added to what they could see, 
but they actually ended up seeing less because they can't see God now. You must not eat it, touch it, or we won't, we won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened, okay? And you're going to be knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. She took some of the fruit, and, and Satan always makes it look good. I, I, I thought about that a lot back in the day. I don't struggle with that nowadays. But I wasn't, I wasn't serving God. Years ago, I wasn't serving God. And, um, and I always I, I struggled with... My big thing with not serving God was I'm not going to get to do all the cool stuff, right? And you tell yourself that. Specifically younger, I think you tell yourself that. I'm not going to get to enjoy all the fun stuff. You know, like going and getting drunk and sick. And, and hugging a public toilet in a, in a bar somewhere. I, I'm, those are the good old days. <laughs> right? Being so messed up on drugs that you don't even know what's going on. Your teeth are falling out of your face. You've destroyed your family. you destroyed your marriage. you broke. You know, all this kind of stuff. And even we put it in the category of nice, good, suburban non-salvation. Right? We're not doing all that kind of stuff, but our lives are messed up. Our families are messed up. We're all miserable. Things are just not what they need to be. And, and we fight for our right to that. It's weird. And I did. I, I kept thinking, I don't want to be one of them boring old Christians. I, I, I thought about that. The other night, we were at the house. The kids were over. We were playing cards. And, and, I, and I, sat, I was sitting watching because everybody's laughing and we're all going crazy. And, and in fact, it even got to the point where Linda had to run out of the room because she's had a few kids. And you can't laugh too much when you've had a few kids. So you recognize, you, you've seen them, the 40-year-old women that run out of the room like this. Okay, so, and I'm sitting there watching this and I'm thinking to myself, I wouldn't trade this moment for anything. This is... This is hilarious. Well, I, you know, for that part of the moment, maybe. But, but what, what about life makes it good? It's that stuff. And we know that intuitively, but we chase after sin because Satan convinces us somehow it's good. It's better. It's fun. It, it, it's weird how he does that. She took some fruit and ate it. Then she gave it some to her husband who was with her but not bold enough to stand up. That was my statement. And he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. You realize their eyes were opened. Satan was telling the truth about that. Their eyes were open. Now they could see brokenness and shame and sin and darkness. Before they could see God, they could see greatness, perfection, love, life, and now their eyes are open. And look at the tragedy that happens. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord. And then the great missional statement that, that is, the, I believe, the thesis of the Bible, I believe is verse 9. And the Lord called to the man, where are you? I believe that is the, that is the theme of the Bible. God calling out to us. But look at this. God comes walking in the garden and they hid. Why did they hide? They used to talk to him face to face. Because now sin made them feel so bad that they pushed away from God. So broken, so corrupt, they push away. And I have prayed more times than I can count, Lord, I just want to be closer to you. Adam and Eve got to sit and talk to you. Face to face, you talk back to them in person. They could see you in all of your glory. And then they hid from you. Because that's what sin will do. Is sin will push us, push us away. And we will, we will not want to be in his presence. I, I know this isn't a popular way to say this, but I've seen this for years. One of the reasons that people don't want to come to church is because they, they don't want that, that feeling, that understanding, that, that conviction. See, we think conviction is a totally negative thing, and it is until you start working with God on it 
And then all of a sudden it becomes life and it becomes where you get this grace and where you get this mercy and where you connect with the love of Christ. Before then, it's just, it's just a bad feeling because we're resisting, we're pushing God away. When you embrace him, the conviction becomes a wonderful thing. It becomes good. They pushed God away. Romans chapter 5, verse 19, because one person disobeyed God, which was Adam. Many became sinners, but because one other person, which is Jesus, obeyed God, many will be made righteous. This is what salvation is. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. And I'm going to get more to that in a minute, but that's all that the law does, by the way, is when you're given rules, the only thing it shows you is when you're um, breaking them. It only reveals to you the problem. It doesn't fix the problem. It just shows you the problem. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead. Sin rules over all people, but then it says, now God's wonderful grace rules. I really believe that God's grace is over every person on the planet, but they have to personally Accept that. The grace is there. When Jesus dies on the cross, the grace is there for every single human being. God doesn't have to work up some extra grace when he gets to you. The grace is already there. All you have to do is reach out and embrace it in faith and say, Lord, I want that for me. I need it for me. Now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God because we pushed him away. We hid from him in the garden. I think the question came up at the journey last week at my house about, well, what about the, the, you know, the, the child that um, gets saved, maybe an eight-year-old child that gets saved? Um, what are they having to repent of? The fact that we're all broken. We've all been pushed away from God by sin. And we need to be made right with God. It doesn't matter how sinful you think somebody is or not. That's not actually the subject. That's the way we look at it. And sometimes, depending on what type of church background you have, focuses more on that. We think about the sin being the issues that we have done or not done. And there is validity with that. I'm not taking away from that. But what we are being saved from is sin in a general sense. Your sin, my sin, all of our sin that has pushed us away from God. And, God. and Jesus Christ gives his blood to forgive us of our sins so that the whole concept of sin that has been destroying humanity can be pushed aside and we can get into access to God the Father. That's what the blood of Jesus does. The only way you can get to God is through the blood of Jesus. It's not through doing all the stuff right. When you become a Christian and you have a relationship with Jesus, you will do all the stuff that you need to be doing, or you should but it's the blood that makes that access. It's not you. It's not, it's not what you do. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for everyone has sinned. And let me help us so that we know exactly what that means. All of us. You say, well, yeah, that's what... You, don't, you have no idea how many times over the years that, I, that people have struggled, that I've listened to them discuss that everyone has sinned and they struggle with that. You've sinned, I've sinned. Every human being on the planet has sinned. And we need a Savior. We need somebody to, to, to do something about that sin. That sin has caused there to be, um, something has to pay for that sin. Something has to make it right, and that's the blood of Jesus. We all fall, fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. Through his grace... He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. You cannot free yourself from the penalty of sin. Only Jesus can do that. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And I think it's important that you process that sin. It's the way he says it. That people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, 
shedding his blood. See, when Jesus gave his life, the blood was poured out. Salvation was already there for every human on the planet. But not everybody is saved. Why? Because it has to be, the way you get made right with God through the blood of Jesus is you have to believe for you, personally, for you. It doesn't just happen. If that's the case, the moment Jesus died on the cross, everybody after that would, would be a Christian. But the way it happens for you is you believe that Jesus' sacrifice was what made it right. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the, man, for the Son of Man came to seek to save those who were lost. Which was pretty easy for him to find them when he got here. Because it's everybody. It was everybody. When he went and called the disciples to follow him, they were lost. When he talked to the Pharisees, they were lost. When he talked to the woman at the well, she was lost. They, every person that you see in the New Testament was lost. And every one of us are lost. And Jesus came to find you and pull you close to him. That's, that's, that's who he is. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also... Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. He's coming for you. He's coming. This is the second coming. He's talking about he's coming for you. He came and died on the cross and he laid it out there. He said, do you want me? Do you want me to be God? Do you want something else? Do you want my forgiveness? Do you want something else? Do you want my path or do you want something else? And he will let you choose. He, the, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not going to make you serve Jesus. He's not going to take away your free will. He didn't make robots. He made people. And you get to choose. You get to choose whether you're going to serve him. And once you choose, he'll let you serve him. He still won't even make you then. This is where some uh, denominations get off base. Is just because you are serving him and pursuing him doesn't mean he locks you in a uh, Christian prison you can't get ever, ever get out of. He still lets you choose. Do you want to love him tomorrow? He's not going to make you. He's not going to make you. You want to serve him? He'll let you. He'll embrace you. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and to destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I, I, I think about this so much with everything that I'm doing right now is this, um, this political stuff. The second point of this, let me, let me show you this. The second point of this, number two, why do we need salvation? This, this gets in my mind and my spirit about all this stuff that's, that's, I'm saying personally right here, of everything that's going on in my life. Ezekiel 36, now this is, this is the, that, that beginning of those chapters that I talked about earlier about the, uh, the prophecy about the battle of Gog and Magog. This is the beginning of it. This is Old Testament, but this sounds so much like it came straight out of the book of Acts, right? Or one of the Gospels. But Ezekiel 36, verse 26, it says, I will give you a new heart. That doesn't sound really Old Testament-ish. Testament-ish. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. That's, that's why we need salvation. I have a stony, stubborn heart. Don't, don't raise your hands on this. How many of you would agree with that? Right? If, um, if, if I had you raise your hand, some of you keep your hand down, and I would think bad about you. Why? Because you have a stony, stubborn heart, too. This, this is what the Holy Spirit does. Is he, is he melts our heart and he changes us. He changes us and makes us more like him. I, I was thinking about this this last week. I made a mistake this last week. I, um, there's a bunch of stuff that has been online uh, um, about me now that I'm this huge political influence, uh, apparently in the whole world. And... Um, and so there's a bunch of, this stuff has been going on for, I just haven't, I don't get up here and tell you guys about it and all this kind of stuff. But I took, um, I took a little TikTok thing that somebody sent me, Shelby sent it to me actually, it's her fault. And uh, she said, look, you're famous. And so 
I sent that to our staff and my family, and I was like, hey, guys, now here's what I thought I was doing. I was, I was thinking, I said, hey, guys, look how funny this is. That's not how they saw it. A lot of my family, staff got mad. Like, how dare they treat you? How dare they say that? So I won't send it to them again. But here's the way I look at that is there's two things. One is this stuff catches me so funny. This stuff is hilarious to me that people care that much. And they actually, they take segments of my messages and they put them on TikTok with all this mean stuff along with it. And uh, I think it's hilarious. And then I found out, I don't have TikTok, so I had to get my daughter, who does have TikTok, to um, show me all this. And there's all these comments afterwards. This is comedic gold, people. This is hilarious stuff. And I'm enjoying it. And, and both Linda and Emily are like, don't read those. They'll just make you mad. I'm like, no, these are great. These, and some of them are kind of true. But, <laughs> but like this one guy, he says... He says, I don't know who this guy thinks he is. He gets up in his church, and he talks. He thinks he's some kind of stand-up comedian or something. And I was like, this guy gets me. <laughs> it's like we're together. It's like we're family. I don't know who this And I almost put something like that, but then you just start a big old fight. But here's the thing. If you guys are seeing some of this stuff, it's, it's online. There's stuff on our Facebook page. Stuff like that. Don't let it get you upset. If it gets you upset, please just don't read it. Okay? You don't have to defend me. Here's what I started doing is like 50 people, I don't know how many people respond to this kind of stuff. And so as I'm going down, I do read all their comments because they really are very funny to me. Um, but then I just pray for these people. You know why? Because they have stony, stubborn hearts. And if they could just see the amazingness of Jesus, and I, do, and I know this to be true because I was that, that guy. If they can just see grace and they can look past all of the demonic control that keeps them seeing God as a negative and keeps them seeing sin is a good thing and their lifestyles is this wonderful thing. If they could cut through all that stuff and push it aside and just get a glimpse through all of that darkness and they could get a glimpse of the light and the life and the love of Jesus Christ, it would be amazing how quick their life would change and transform. But, they, but they're trapped. And I know it comes out being mean and evil and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm sure there's going to be times when it irritates me or whatever. But that's not how I see it. These are, these are broken people and they just need Jesus. And here's the funny thing is, is they're coming to our website and our podcasts and, and our videos of the sermons and they're watching them so they can say mean things about me. We just expanded our horizon like you wouldn't believe. I mean, this is, you, you, we, you know, we go like, ha, ha, but that's truth. They're going to get to hear that Jesus loves them. No matter how much they reject it, they get to hear that Jesus loves them 100%. And guys, that's what it should be about. Don't let these people get you upset. Don't let them get you mad. I don't even mind. Just don't put comments under it. Like, that's what I would say. Like, if they say, man, pastor's a jerk sometimes, don't be like, yeah, that's right. You know, nothing like that. <laughs> Okay, because that'll hurt. <laughs> Just pray for them. Just pray for people. Look, look at this. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, and that's my prayer for me. Lord, I want a responsive heart. I spend so much time and energy trying to resist what God is doing. Instead of just stop my stuff and just be responsive, he says, I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And I do believe this. When you, when you begin to serve Jesus and you really let the love of Christ get in your mind and your spirit, it's amazing how you will begin to want to do what he's asked you to do. Holiness becomes less of a, of a struggle and a battle and more of a pursuit the more you love the Lord. It's not that you get everything right, but you begin to pursue him. You want, you want to know what makes him happy. You want to do the things that makes him happy. And then all of a sudden he starts anointing you for stuff and doing things. And now you're like, this is a whole nother level. I want to chase after this stuff. I want, to, I want to pursue what God has got for me. Not try to pursue what I've got for me. When I pursue what I've got, it's always a problem. 
always, 100% of the time will be a problem. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? And this next sentence is pretty important. Don't fool yourselves. Especially with everything that's coming after, don't fool yourselves. I, I, all the time, I, I come across people that are like, well, you know, homosexuality is not in the Bible. It's so much in the Bible. It's all over the Bible. Don't fool yourselves. The next sentence, those who indulge in sexual sin. You know, this is an important place to stop here because the, over the last five to ten years, the church, and, and, and to some extent rightfully so, the church has kind of become um, consumed with the, with the whole LGBT stuff, specifically now that we're seeing it going into the schools and attacking students in the schools and all that kind of stuff. The church should, in fact, my argument is the church should have picked up these things 20, 30, 40 years ago, and they may not be in the schools and may not be in uh, what's going on now. But here's the reality of this. Because of that focus and emphasis, we've kind of stopped paying attention to all the other things that are important. Sexual sin is still sin. It's, it's always going to be. Fornication. We don't even use that word anymore. The red hot chili peppers kind of did, sort of with California, but we, we don't even use that terminology anymore. Because why? Well, we've moved on to bigger and more difficult sin stuff. But guys, having sex outside of marriage is still a sin, and it'll destroy you. It'll hurt your marriage. For years, you'll still struggle with stuff. It'll hurt your life. It'll hurt the way you look at, at um, relationships. Uh, uh, pornography, sexual sin like pornography, it will hurt you. It will hurt the way you look at members of the opposite sex. It will hurt the way you understand the intimacy of sexuality rather than just the, the base lustness of sexuality. These things are destructive. And he says this, but we've kind of moved on from those things, right? The statistics, I've said some of these over the last couple of years, but the, 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 of the things of 40 people, people 40 years and under, I think I just had a little stroke, but of, um, <laughs> of people 40 years and younger uh, is that these things are not even considered wrong or bad nowadays uh, in the same way that they were even 20 years ago. It's not that big of a deal. Sex outside of marriage is not that big of a deal. Guys, it still is. It still is. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's why we need a Savior. Because that's human nature, and, and if we go the way of human nature, we'll become these things. There's another list in Galatians chapter 5, like starting in verse 19. Read that one. In fact, the scriptures right after it, it says, But these are the fruits of the Spirit, which lets me know that the fruits of, this, of, a, of sin are verse 19, 20, and 21. Verse 22 then says, But the fruits of the Spirit, which are different than those... We always just go straight to the fruits of the Spirit instead of recognizing there are actually fruits that Satan wants us to plant in our life called sin. And we need a Savior to show us, illuminate this stuff and give us the ability to say no to this stuff. John chapter 3, verse 16, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son that everyone who believes in Him... And you guys know this doesn't mean cognitive connection. This means life change. Because John says in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, he says, if you say you love the Lord, you'll do what he says. If you're not doing what he says, you don't love the Lord. John says that. And right here he's saying that if you believe, that means life. Is your life believing it? We've got this Western society kind of thing where we can cognitively attach to something and say, I believe it in a cognitive sense, but, if, but it's not actually connecting. There's not something about it. Our life is not going that direction. Which, which means somewhere there's a, there's a total different context to what this is talking about in John chapter 3. He's talking about life direction. He says, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. 
See, this is, this is one of the interesting things. I, I get the question all the time. Well, if Jesus, how can a loving God send somebody to hell? That, that's a dumb question. You, you don't understand any of the details of your own question if you ask it like that. We were already condemned and on our way to hell. God's not sending us anywhere. We are on that train. We are already there. He sent Jesus. He didn't send us. We chose that path. He sent Jesus. He sent grace. He sent mercy. He sent love. He sent the answer so that we don't go to hell. Not so that we do. He does everything he can to get us back into relationship with him. He does everything he can to rescue us. But he's not going to make us. So you make a choice. You choose. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. And, and we kind of do that some in the church, don't we? Grace doesn't really mean anything. It's what I, what I call cheap grace or simple grace. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there's no need for Christ to die. If it was just about the rules, then why did Jesus die? Because the rules don't save anybody. The rules don't change anything. The only thing the rules do is illuminate to you what is right and wrong. And, and, and at some particular level, the rules kind of condemn you in the process, if you think about it. They, the only thing they do is show you the, the, the path of destruction. They don't give you the answer. You say, don't. In fact, I used to have this conversation with someone, my mom, when we were growing up. Is, uh, we, had, we had rules in the church, and, and we grew up in a lot of... Um, legalism in the church. And so there was rules. And she told me one time, she said, yeah, we couldn't go, um, we couldn't go to the high school football game when we were teenagers. I'm like, what? Well, that was a sin, to go to the high school football game. And she said roller skating was a sin. She's a teenager. And I said, who made these rules? I've never even read the word roller skate in the Bible. <laughs> who made these rules? But see, man can come up with a bunch of rules. Why? Because we like to control. We like to manipulate. We like to, to push down instead of bring life. Are there sins? Sure, I just read a list of them to you. But let's let the Bible tell us our rules. Not, not people. If somebody says, oh, this is a sin. Now, there are some things that are not specifically mentioned in Scripture, but you can understand a sin because of the way Scripture is written. Go there for your source. Go there. And I asked her one time, well, what about this? Why is that a sin? She said, because we're not supposed to. I'm like, that's not the answer to that question. Why is that a sin? We're not supposed to. As Jesus will give you the answers. He'll show you. But to do that, you've got to let, you gotta let the, the word of God be the foundation and the blood of Christ be the, the pathway. That's the only way you can get there. The third thing is, how do we receive salvation? Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which man, which we must be saved. This, this is important because you've got to decide what you think about this. It's truth regardless of what you think, but you've got to decide what you think. And this, this is something that will always be, when I say this stuff, it always becomes divisive, right? Um. If somebody gets this far into the message, this will be what they pick on because it's divisive, right? Except it's just actually truth. There's only one way to God the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. It's not other religions. It's not other mentalities. All the other things lead to death and lead to hell. They don't lead to God. Jesus is the pathway, and the only pathway to God. But you've got to decide what you think about that. I, I read a statistic just about six months ago that Barna put out that is showing people 30 years and under are believe, are, are, there's more people that disbelieve that statement than believe it in the church. That they don't believe that Jesus is the only path to God in the church. This is why we have to be declaring this. This is why we have to be saying this. You say, well, it sounds divisive, but it is the only truth that's going to save somebody. 
As divisive as it may sound and be, all other religions are going to lead to death. Jesus is the only path to eternal life. And we've got to keep that as, as, as our existence. Romans chapter 10, for it is by believing in your heart. This is how you get saved. Believe in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by opening, declaring your faith that you are saved. That you say this. That Jesus, you are the path. You are God. As the scripture tells us, anyone trusting him will never be disgraced. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. That's, that's a daily thing for me. Years ago, I used to think repentance is what horrible sinners did so they wouldn't go to hell. And I realized that's not it. That's relationship. Repentance is me saying, Jesus... I don't, I don't want to do this my way. I want to do it your way. Forgive me for doing it my way. How can I do it your way? It's the same thing when I apologize to my wife. I mean, I don't have to do that very often. But when I apologize to my wife, it's because of relationship. I don't apologize to her so she'll cook me food. That's just a great benefit on the side. But it's because I don't, if I've wronged her, I don't want to keep that there. I don't want her to be upset at me or, or hurt or something else. So I apologize with the intention that I'm not going to do it again. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 3 verse 19, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Why don't you stand with me? So here's what I would like us to do. Um, let's, just, let's just follow the pattern here. That, that as we pray, we're going to pray that, God, that we will do these three things and God saves you. You say, well, I'm already a Christian. Okay. I repent every day. That's part, of my, that's part of my walk with the Lord is, is, Lord, I don't want anything between you and me. I don't want anything between you and me. Repenting doesn't mean you're getting saved. It means you're making sure everything's good. What can you fix? What can you change? Because part of repenting should be also, Lord, show me. Show me what I need to do different. Tell me. Speak to me. And then we confess that he is Lord and Savior of our life. Right? Let's pray. Lord, we just submit ourselves and commit ourselves to you. God, you are God. I'm not God. I can't save myself. I can barely change myself. Lord, through you, I can be forgiven, covered with your blood, Jesus, and made right with God. Lord, I want that right now. God, I want that path split open wide that I can walk right into your throne room covered with the blood of Jesus and talk to you and interact with you. Lord, you know how much my heart, I wish I could sit in the garden with you like Adam and Eve did. Jesus, I get the next best thing. I can stand right here with you. And I get to know you and I get to be close to you. So wash us clean right now, Jesus, with your blood. I openly declare you are my God. I openly declare that my faith is in you and in nothing else. Guys, girls, you do that right now. Tell him in your own words, but tell him, I declare you're my God. My faith is in you. It is in nothing else. My hope is in you. It is in nothing else. I serve you and you alone, Jesus. I submit myself to you and you alone. Because you're the king. You're God. You're the all-consuming one. And I'm amazed by you. Lord, we want to be a church where you reign supreme, where you're in charge where your blood covers us, Jesus. So God, we pray against all the stuff that tries to creep in, all the junk, the sin, the stuff. Lord, and we just stand against that and rebuke it. 
that I follow you. I follow you. I don't follow my flesh, my, my thoughts, my attitudes, my rebellions, lust, any of that stuff. I follow you. In Jesus' name. Guys, we had, we had a word of knowledge in first service, and I want to share that with us because I want us to pray for this. The word of knowledge was basically this. Some of you are, are carrying burdens that are too big for you. And the Lord says he will carry your burdens, but you've got to let him carry them. That, that you've got to stop thinking that this is you and that it's your responsibility or, or this is just how it's supposed to be. But the Lord wants to take that burden off of you. And so I want to, I want the same thing we did in first service. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hands. I think I'm just, that's me. I'm under too much of a burden. I've got too much, and I'm trying to carry too much. Okay, there's, there's quite a few of us. Okay, so let's do this. I'm not trying to trick you, but if you raise your hand, please come down front and just line up along the front because we want people to pray for you. You don't have to do this by yourself. Here, here's one of the things that I have found. The Holy Spirit says that he's our, our counselor, our comforter. Do you realize the Holy Spirit can take your burden off of you instantly this morning right now? And here's another thing that I've found in cooperation with this, is he's given us what's called the body of Christ to work, to carry this uh, with each other, that I help you and you help me. But the way that it really works is not just you, you and I helping each other, it's the Holy Spirit doing that through us. It's the Holy Spirit being the counselor and the comforter. Anybody else you say, this is just too heavy for me. It's, getting, it's got in my head, it's got in my spirit, and I'm crashing under this thing. Anybody, anybody else? Okay. All right, I want us to pray for these. You guys um, kind of spread out a little bit so we can get people to come behind you and pray for you, that kind of thing. <clears throat> and... Um, so any of you guys that want to, why don't you come up here and let's, let's pray for them. Lord, we lift, we lift these men and women up to you. Jesus, you, you, did, you told us that, that being yoked up to you and, and walking with you is it's light. That you will take our burdens from us and that it will be a light walk with you. It won't be heavy. It won't be a burden. It won't be, won't be weighing us down, but it'll actually pick us up. That serving you becomes refreshing. That rivers of living water pour out of us. That Holy Spirit submitting to you is cool and refreshing. Lord, you said it's like the deer that's been running he gets a drink from the cool stream. So, Lord, I pray that right now. Holy Spirit, you're the, you're the counselor. You're the comforter. Take this burden off of them. Let them know they don't have to do this. It's not theirs. Satan tries to convince us that this is just how it's going to be, that we have to deal with this. I rebuke that right now in the authority in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, you have given us everything we need to serve you. Lord, so help us to let go of this. And God, and I pray every, every person up here that they will, they will intentionally let go of this. Help them not to keep holding on to it. If Satan tries to convince them that, rebuke that. Let, let go of it. Lord, bless them with your spirit and your presence. Wrap your arms around them just like you said all through scripture. Cover them with your with your feathers, your wings. Lord, we thank you for this. Holy Spirit, just wash through their minds and their hearts right now. Wash through their lives. And Jesus, serving you is great, it's amazing, it's wonderful. And Lord, when we come to difficulties, you carry us. When we have burdens, you take them off of us. Lord, we ask you to do that in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we ask you to do this.
Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I ask you to help them to truly leave these burdens right here. Leave them here in the name of Jesus. So let me, let me um, push this into your world a little bit here. Throughout this next week, next couple days, I don't know, next few weeks, Satan will try to bring this back and set it on your shoulders. Let me do it this afternoon. Try to bring this back. You, in the authority of Jesus and in the name of Jesus, you have the authority to say, no, this is not mine. I let go of this. I do not pick this burden back up. I don't shoulder it again. Let it go. Satan will try to convince you that was just a nice little time of prayer. Didn't mean anything. This is your real life. Don't let Satan do that. Let the burden go. Take it off. Let it go. Let God have this. Okay, God, put this into our spirit right now. Put this truth deep in our spirit. God, we are not limited to the stuff of this life. You can take that rock off now, instantly. God, help us not to grab onto that rock and hold on to let you take it and we're done with it we move on in the name of Jesus we pray amen amen and now I know that um, we have stuff we're doing now um, you guys are celebrating Linda and I and anything that will cause a potluck I'm in favor of Can you have a seat for a moment? We are going to honor, honor Pastor and Linda. Linda, if you'll come up. Ten years ago, I arrived to for the first time to Fort Carson, and on our first Sunday here, we uh, attended service, and it turned out to be Scott and Linda's first Sunday, which I think we're celebrating now. Ten years and one month, or thereabouts. Fireworks were in the way for the, for the actual day, so we're doing it today. But Scott and Linda came here 10 years ago to minister because God called them here and they dragged their kids along with them. At least one of them came kicking and screaming. It wasn't Emily, though. <laughs> and I've had the blessing of, uh, of developing a friendship with Scott and Linda and very honored that uh, I've been had that time over the last 10 years to get to know them and blessed at what they have accomplished here at... Uh, at CAB, and the board is up here to help uh, take and celebrate them. I think there was a big fight, and I think Paul lost to be able to share. <laughs> what am I sharing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, we are very grateful. Um, for you guys, who you are, how you challenge us, how you challenge us, how you teach us, um, how you walk life with us, and we don't do this often enough <laughs> to thank you guys and um, share how thankful we are. So we have some tangible gifts: pretty flowers, a pretty plaque, and a pretty check. <laughs> and um, these are tangible things that we can say thank you for, but um, changed lives and um, all those things that are hard to express, but there, um, you know, most all of them, um, but there are, there are many that you guys don't know how you touch people's lives, and we thank you for all of that, and uh, personally, one of the things I see is that how you, you lead by example, and you lead by love, and that is something that I learn cherish, chase after, and uh, continue to follow 100%. So thank you for the example you guys set as well. So, yeah, please. Uh, oh, and I'll, I'll read the plaque here. Church at Briargate presents Scott and Linda Bottoms on the 10th anniversary of pastoring Church at Briargate from the congregation with love and prayers, July 24, 2022. 
I'll tell you, 10 years uh, in many churches is rare for a pastor to stay 10 years. Some churches, it's just like a revolving door of pastors. So we've been blessed that you guys have been here. I want to take and have them come down front, and we're going to pray over them much like he does for missionaries and others. We're going to take a moment here and pray over them. So if you'd like to come and join us. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for Scott and Linda and the example they give, the blessings that they are to us, the challenge they give to us. They just don't tickle our ears, but they challenge us to go deeper, to be stronger, to trust in you more, Heavenly Father. Lord, we ask your blessings of your Holy Spirit to be poured out afresh on them, that your anointing would be refreshed in their hearts and their spirits. Lord, that you would give them a new vision and a new, new direction for this church in the next 10 years to go deeper and to go stronger in you, Heavenly Father. Let them hear from you that they will speak into our lives in unique and wonderful ways. Just pour out upon them today the love of the people that they will know without a shadow of doubt that they are where they need to be. Lord, we thank you and give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you like to say anything? So, um, so we do thank you for this. Honey, I'm sorry, you took that envelope. So we do thank you for this. Um, for you that have been around here since we got here, you know, depending on, you know, what day or what, it doesn't really seem like 10 years, right? It seems like just a few minutes underwater. <laughs> so, hey, uh, we've, we are very appreciative. We thank you. This is, you know, when you're doing what God has told you to do, it's good, right? It's just good. But you guys also know that Lynn and I, we're just one couple. It's really all of us that make Church of Barrygate what it is. I, I'm not shirking my responsibility. I know what it is, but uh, we're all in this together, and God really has done some stuff because of all of us. And uh, you talking to people and praying for people, that's why more people come, and seeing God do stuff in their life, that's why more people come. And so keep your eyes on Jesus. I'll keep my eyes on Jesus, and uh, we'll, we'll do another 10, 20 years. Sound good? The reality is Scott and Linda hates things pointed towards them. They prefer to point away from them, but they deserve the honor. Scripture says to give honor where honor is due. So take the time and just give them some love and give them some honor today. We do have some, some food. Whether you brought something or not, please stay and enjoy. Uh, potluck is always a good excuse for food, and this is a good excuse for food. Let me take a moment and pray over the food, and then uh, the food is all set up, ready to go. we got uh, tin outside for you to eat at, or you can find a place inside for not to be outside to sit and eat and enjoy fellowship with each other. Heavenly Father, we come before you once again. We thank you for the blessing of the food that is shared with each other. May the food nourish our bodies as the fellowship nourishes our spirits as we love on Pastor and Linda. Throughout this afternoon, we give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, go ahead. <laughs>